Sex and the City series had aired without a hitch, but it was between the show ending and the movie's beginning that deep cracks between leading stars Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall were exposed. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Zara McDonald, welcome back. Welcome back. I'm so excited. (laughs) This one's such a good one. At the end of the first episode in this Scandal series, we talked about a lot. Not only did we give a whole heap of context on how Sex and the City came to be, a column, then a book, then a TV series, then a movie franchise, we also introduced the listeners to two very important players, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall. Yeah, so in the last episode, we had a discussion about how Sarah Jessica Parker, when the TV show ended, told Oprah in an interview that she had made the decision to stop the series, that she wanted to spend more time with her kids, that she wanted some more challenging roles and that she didn't really discuss it with her co-stars because she didn't think it was her place. It was an interesting quote. It was an interesting quote. And then a competing narrative emerged. So we had Sarah Jessica Parker going to the media saying, I was the one who called quits on the show or who decided it was going to wrap up. Then we had Kim Cattrall who played Samantha Jones come out and say actually she didn't want to continue the series because of a pay dispute where she felt like she wasn't experiencing the financial benefits of the huge empire they had all collectively built. Exactly. Now Kim Cattrall wasn't just part of conversations around a pay dispute for the series. There were also rumours that it took a few years for the first movie to get off the ground because she was fighting for pay too. But where we left off, Mish, was with reports that there was tension between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall at the film's rap party. Five days after reports emerged in the mirror about that tension, a bombshell report drops in the Telegraph and things really begin to unravel. So let's rewind to May 19, 2008. Let's do it. All right, Zara, it is May 19, 2008. Five days have passed since the Mirror reported that things were a little frosty and a little tense at the film's rap party when the Telegraph decides to join the chat and has some things to share. Yeah, exactly. So the Telegraph basically reaffirmed that widely held belief that the movie was set to begin back in 2004 when the show ended, but Kim had, and I quote, openly refused to participate unless she was paid more. The paper also alleged that the drama went back further. They reported that there had been various tensions over money since Sarah was promoted to executive producer in the second series at a salary of $300,000 an episode. Mm, The Telegraph also wrote that Kim's attempts to secure more money, and I quote, did not, according to insiders, endear her to the other three, and crew members claimed the girls wouldn't even sit with Cattrall at mealtimes. So storied was this rift by the point that this article came out. The Telegraph also referenced reports of SJP and Kim Cattrall disagreeing over their characters' outfits. Like apparently they wanted to wear each other's outfits or were looking at the costume department saying, well, why is she in a better dress than me? Who's leaked this? Because it's clearly not Kim Cattrall's camp, right? Mm. And I feel like this has been leaked maybe to hype up 
the movie because you get people talking about the relationships behind the scene. You therefore get people talking about the movie and people want to tune in because they think, okay, well, if there's tension there, can I see it on screen? Yeah. It feels like people behind the scenes have leaked this against Kim Cattrall. I don't know who that is, but that very much is how it feels for me. Someone at New Line Cinema who's going, this is a bit of publicity and it's a good bite at that cherry as well. Yeah. And let's make Kim Cattrall the bad guy here. So Kim actually was interviewed by The Telegraph for this and she denied that the reason she didn't sign up for the movie straight away was because of money. She said it was actually because she was going through a tough time in her life. She said, looking back four years ago to when we were discussing a movie, it was a really tough time for me. I was going through a divorce and my job of seven years was coming to an end. Then my dad was diagnosed with dementia. So I took a step back and returned to Canada where my family is. That's the reason behind it. But then the other confusing part about this is that she also kind of did confirm that some of it was about money because Mm. she said it wasn't all about the money. Yeah, the Telegraph piece also referenced that well-known 2004 photo of the three women in Sarah Jessica Parker, Kristen Davis and Cynthia Nixon sitting together at the Emmys and Kim Cattrall notably sitting at another table. When they put this photo to Kim, she said, are we the best of friends? No, we're professional actresses. We have our own separate lives. In the same article, though, Sarah Jessica Parker was interviewed and said, honestly, we are all friends and I wish I saw more of Kim. Sarah also disputed claims that she or any of the other actresses resented Kim over delaying the movie. Sarah said she mentioned money and no one should vilify her for it. People made a decision that we had vilified her. No one bothered to say to the rest of us, are you disappointed by not making the movie? Yes. Do you respect and support her choice not to do it? Absolutely. Mm. All throughout this time, Sarah Jessica Parker was really, really careful about what she said about Kim Cattrall on the public record and was very much pushing this narrative that she had huge respect for her and they had a wonderful relationship. Yeah, a month after that Telegraph piece, Marie Claire joined the chorus. They were officially in the like very short lead up to the film airing, premiering, and they released an article full of interviews with the movie's cast and crew. Not only did the starring actresses face some tough questions about their dynamic, the journalists also directed the same probing questions to the people on their periphery. So, for example, the show's creator, Darren Starr, was asked about this supposed feud and these contract disputes. He said, I think you have to draw the line between what's happening in gossip columns and what's happening on set. You can't create that kind of chemistry. When you do a series for so many years, you can't fake it completely. Mario Cantone, who actually played the character of Anthony Maritino, also said, and I quote, certain people were vilified in some articles and others were vilified in others. It's interesting how they never write stuff like that about the men on The Sopranos. They always go after the women. They just do. Mm. He does have a point. He does have a really good point. So the movie premieres and while it does awesome at the box office, it grosses more than $400 million worldwide, It also was on the receiving end of some scathing reviews. The New York Times wrote that, and I quote, a little Botox goes a long way in the Sex and the City movie, but a little decent writing would have gone even further. That is so ageist. Yeah, it's incredibly ageist, as if these women were only relevant for a certain point of time and we shouldn't even see them. 
as they get older and as their experiences change. The review went on to describe the film as, and I quote, The Pits, a vulgar, shrill, deeply shallow and at two hours and 22 turgid minutes, overlong addendum to a show that had over the years evolved and expanded in surprising ways. Yikes. The reviewer didn't end there. They said, there is something depressingly stunted about this movie, something desperate to. It isn't that Carrie has grown older or overly familiar. It's that a wash in materialism and narcissism this it girl has become totally ick. Yikes. The Guardian wrote that the Sex and the City film, and I quote, destroyed the legacy of a funny and fantastic TV show. Even Cynthia Nixon, the woman behind the character of Miranda, later said that she was devastated by one scene in the film. So anyone who has seen it, and spoiler alert, mind you, why are we giving spoiler alerts? This is a Sex and the City series. At the end of the Sex and the City film, the first one, Carrie and Mr. Big reunite after this like cataclysmic breakup and the way they reunite is that Mr. Big builds Carrie a beautiful big closet. Yes. Now Cynthia actually told the Wendy Williams show many years later, it seemed to me that the show was so much about female empowerment and about women making their own choices and women standing up for what they wanted, supporting themselves. So to me, to have this be a kind of climax of the film that your very wealthy husband builds you a really nice closet for your clothes, I thought, <laughs> wow, that's not really what you love about the show, is it? Mm, what was your experience of this film? Because as someone who adored the TV series, The film wasn't my favourite, but I still remember going to the first movie with my sisters and I still left with that like giddy, bubbly, effervescent feeling that the movie's supposed to give you. Like it's frothy and it's foamy and that's what it's supposed to be. I remember watching it and I hadn't watched a bunch of the TV series. Like I had seen episodes here and there. So my expectations were probably quite low and therefore I probably analysed it a lot less than maybe the average Sex and the City Mm. fan because I wasn't phased about it that much I think I just went in and took it as it was you know I think it's easy to look back now and be like oh all these things could have been better and but for me as like an average viewer I thought it was exactly what I needed to be sugary and fun it was fun so you also can't argue that it wasn't successful like this proved to be such a commercial hit that a year later in late 2009 the stars were already busy filming the second follow-up Sex and the City movie. Despite all that, the drama was persisting. According to a 2009 article in New York Magazine, so again, a super reputable publication, New York Magazine is not wasting their time on tabloid fodder. They're spending their time on fact. Sarah and Kim were no longer speaking at all, and I quote, which is making everyone on the set of the new Sex and the City movie uncomfortable. So in 2009, Elle magazine ran a profile of Sarah. Again, we're getting these like incredibly juicy profiles in the lead up to each movie's release. And they also spoke to Kim for the profile who dismissed the idea that she and Sarah were in competition with one another. Kim said of Sarah Jessica Parker in this profile, she shines and she allows you to shine as well. Mm, I think this has happened because the production company has seen that the likes of The Telegraph and New York Magazine 
are writing articles about this. It's getting more and more legitimacy. These rumours don't seem like rumours anymore and they need the actors themselves to give quotes that completely rebut the stuff that is out in very reputable publications. But also this is making headlines. Even if they're going against the rumours, it's still making headlines. They're still acknowledging the rumours, which is making headlines, which therefore creates greater hype and publicity for the movie. In the profile, Sarah Jessica Parker also addressed the rumour drama between her and Kim and she said, I don't think anyone wants to believe that I love Kim. I adore her. I wouldn't have done the movie without her didn't and wouldn't. A year later in 2010, the Daily Mail asked Kim about those comments from Sarah and she told them, people don't want to believe that we get on. They have too much invested in the idea of two strong, successful women fighting with each other. It makes for juicy gossip and copy. The truth of us being friends and getting along and happily doing our jobs together is nowhere near as newsworthy. I think Sarah is fantastic. She is a born leader and she guides the crew and the cast in such a strong but gentle way. She and I are sick of this. It's exhausting talking about it and a real bore. Yeah, so it keeps coming up like it keeps coming up again the movie's about to be released just after this interview Kim continued to defend their relationship and blame the media for concocting this story she told Marie Claire in 2010 also that the press has to put women in these boxes rather than show them as the movie portrays them working together and being powerful things just have to be explosive for no other reason than for people's imaginations in that same article co-star Kristen davis who plays charlotte of course laughed off the idea of infighting behind the scenes she said there was a very strange piece in one of the tabloids that said kim and i would eat in the restaurant of our hotel and not sit together which cracks me up when i would get back from the set i would go to the gym and get room service. I'm not a put on decent clothes and go to the hotel restaurant person, but Kim is. The story was that we don't like each other. Ridiculous. With that in mind, Sarah did seem to admit to Marie Claire that there were times that her and her co-stars didn't get along, which feels quite natural because this is what she said. When you're on set, you're working 90-hour weeks, you're never home, you're exhausted. There are times when all of us have been sensitive and sometimes feelings get hurt. But I don't have any regrets about how I've treated people. Mm, Cynthia Nixon said something along the same line. She said, it hasn't always been smooth sailing. The idea that we're somehow adversarial is ludicrous, though. Yeah, really interesting quotes there. And very soon, the tone and the tide is about to change. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, Zara. So before the break, we spoke about the publicity machine that was behind the second Sex and the City movie. When the movie comes out, it is poorly, and by poorly, I mean incredibly poorly received. If we thought the reviews for the first film were scathing, wait till you hear the reviews for the second one. The Guardian gave the movie one star out of five and labelled it a misjudged and quite incredibly boring sequel. Salon's Wajat Ali wrote, Michael Patrick King's exquisitely tone-deaf movie is cinematic Viagra for Western cultural imperialists who still ignorantly and inaccurately paint the entire Middle East as a Shangri-La in desperate need of liberation from ignorant, backward natives. It's hard to overstate the offensiveness of the Fabulous Four's exquisitely tone-deaf trip to Abu Dhabi. Movie reviewer Richard Roper described the movie's portrayal of the Middle East as cartoonishly offensive. The Guardian's Hadley Freeman also announced it as the death of Sex in the City. 
The New York Times said the ugly smell of unexamined privilege hangs over this film like the smoke from cheap incense. And then we have this from the Sydney Morning Herald. Sex in the City 2 xenophobia is blatant. The girls cast not a single glance in the direction of Middle East masculinity and the film imports Western men to catch their eye. Former lovers for Samantha and Carrie and Australian rugby team for General Perving. Arab men, it appears, are acceptable only as humble servants. The girls each have one. Unthreatening old men like the market stall holder who's nice to carry or gays. Yeah, I mean, this film was diabolically bad. I remember even when it came out almost a decade ago, I was sitting in that theatre as a young woman and thinking this film is utterly racist. It did not pass any test by those days' standards. To apply it to today's standards, it is absolutely atrocious. Yeah, and with that in mind, the movie still did okay at the box office. It made $294 million. It cost about $95 million to make it. It didn't do as well as the first movie, but it still did pretty okay. After that, we actually didn't hear much about Sex in the City for a while. I think that's probably quite deliberate, them going to ground. We did get some admissions of guilt from the cast and crew, and I think most notably from Sarah Jessica Parker, who did tell New York Magazine some years later, and it did take her a couple of years to admit this. I understand. I actually get it. I can see where we fell short on that movie, and I'm perfectly happy to say that publicly. Mm, So the franchise went super quiet until when you fast forward six years into the future in 2016, when Kim and Sarah appeared to be friends. In August of 2016, Sarah posted a headshot of Kim to her Instagram page to wish her a happy birthday. She wrote, happy birthday, you beauty, Kim Cattrall. Sending love and the very best for a perfectly marvellous, joyous, healthy and adventure-filled birthday year. Your old pal, fellow mischief maker and sister, SJ. That's pretty intimate in terms of birthday posts, guys. Sister. Yeah. In September that year, Sarah Jessica Parker spoke with Time magazine ahead of the release of a new TV show she was working on. It was a dark comedy for HBO called Divorce. Now, Time asked her about what it was like re-entering the public eye with this TV show after taking a step back from the spotlight. Questions then turn to how she pushes back against the rumours that she feuded with her sex and the city castmates. Sarah said that you have to let your reputation speak for itself. She also, again, suggested that a lot of the coverage and rumours were inherently built on sexist ideas about women and female friendships. Yeah, here's one of her quotes. It was always so heartbreaking to me that there was this narrative about Kim and myself because it just didn't reflect anything that happened on that set. They just didn't do it to the Sopranos guys. It was so strange to me and upsetting. I posted something on Kim's birthday and people were like, oh my God, I didn't know you liked her. What? We were all at liberty to walk away at any time, but nobody asked those questions of shows with men. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me that that Sopranos line comes up again because clearly it's been fed somewhere or a conversation that's had behind the scenes where that specific example of that specific comparison is made because we heard it with another cast member make that same point. Mm. Now, after Sex in the City 2... There was quiet speculation that the women would come together again for a third movie. Let it die. I'm actually exhausted. (laughs) Kim didn't rule out the possibility. Speaking with the Daily Record in 2016, she said, everyone is doing their own thing and if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. It would be a challenge to do a third instalment. 
It could be fun though. To say goodbye <laughs> completely to Samantha would be pretty hard. I feel like she's saying two things in the one quote. I think what's happening there is she's speaking how she truly feels in the first 75% of that quote and then something kicks in to be like, hang on, this is not the party line that we're all saying. I need to add in a little dash of maybe one day though. I do love Samantha. So by September 2017, the year after that quote's given, the Daily Mail reports that the third movie was going to go ahead but was cancelled at the last minute due to, and I quote, Kim Cattrall's outrageous demands. So it claimed that the third movie was scheduled to start filming in the coming days, but the Daily Mail said that Warner Brothers, who was set to produce the film, couldn't move ahead because Kim demanded they produce other movies she had in development or she wouldn't sign up for the project. There is something really off about this story, right? How can it be days before a movie is set to be filmed Yeah, like you are there, cameras are ready to roll. And they're blaming Kim because she had all these demands. It's like what I very much feel like has happened here is that they hadn't properly signed her on at all before they told everybody else it was going. They made an assumption that they'll get her over the line, that all this pressure will be put on her because she will know, look at all these people already prepping the film. You have to sign on. You have to agree with what contract we're putting in front of you and by three days before they're due to film she's like no this is still not sorted there's no way she's signed a contract and then coming up with these demands it doesn't make any sense to me yeah I think this speaks to a huge amount of arrogance and ego I think what happened was the people behind the third Sex in the City film just assumed they would get Kim Cattrall. They assumed if they applied the right pressure at the right time in a really public way, she would cave in and go, fine, I'll do the movie, let's get on with it. She didn't do that. And it seems like to me, at least from our interpretation of everything we have read, which trust us guys, is a fucking lot. My interpretation of this is they just went ahead anyway and they went, right, guys, she'll bend into us. She'll eventually just do it anyway. She didn't. And then instead of them going, wow, we really fucked that and maybe we shouldn't start setting all this stuff up before contracts are signed, they decided to make Kim Cattrall the villain. Because there is literally no other way I can see this playing out because there's no world where if she's already signed something, she can make demands this close to filming. People would be like shut up, you've signed a contract, let's go. But she clearly hasn't broken any contracts here because clearly she hadn't signed anything. How's this quote as well? This was written in that Daily Mail piece. They spoke to a source who said, the only reason this movie isn't being made is because of Kim Cattrall. Everyone was looking forward to making this movie, but Kim made it all about her always playing the victim. Kim had the audacity to tell Warner Brothers that she would only do this if they made the other movie she had in development. Ridiculous. Who does she think she is? George Clooney. That's fucked. It's so fucked. It's also annoying because, as we know, Samantha Jones is one of the most widely loved characters, maybe of all time, I would say, on any TV show. Like, she demands and commands a lot of respect and love from her very loyal followers. Yes, Who's George Clooney? Yes. The female George Clooney, exactly. So the Daily Mail also seems to suggest that there was resentment towards Kim amongst the crew. Another source told the publication, Kim held everyone's life up. Her behaviour is beyond disappointing. We should have been shooting the movie and now everyone's wondering, will this film ever get made? Fair enough. Kim came out quite strongly about this article. She disputed the claims made by the Daily Mail and she tweeted out that the only demand I ever made was I didn't want to do a third film and that was back in 2016. 
That same day, Sarah Jessica Parker did an interview with Extra TV and did say, it's true, the third movie's not going ahead. She said, it's over, we're not doing it. I'm disappointed. We had this beautiful, funny, heartbreaking, joyful, very relatable script and story. It's not just disappointing that we don't get to tell the story and have that experience, but more so for that audience that has been so vocal in wanting another movie. I like Sarah Jessica Parker, I really do, but I have to dispute that. I don't think true Sex and the City fans were asking for a third movie. True Sex and the City fans were frustrated that the movies existed in the first place. Yeah, I think maybe it was the money that was screaming for yeah. it. <laughs> the money that kind of is made from these movies. By audience, do you mean money? Yeah. <laughs> Kristen Davis also made it clear that she wanted to go ahead with the film. She wrote on Instagram, It is true that we are not going to be able to make a third film. I wish that we could have made the final chapter on our own terms to complete the stories of our characters as if they didn't have ample opportunity to do that (laughs) it is deeply frustrating to not be able to share that chapter with all of you so we will just have our memories but please know that all of the love and support for us through the years is felt by us and we are so grateful for all of you sex in the city forever in our hearts Oh, all right. So, guys, that happens when does that happen zara i'm trying to look that is september 2017 september the next month in october 2017 zara here we go in october 2017 A lot happened, guys. So buckle up. Kim books an interview with none other than British talk show host, Piers Morgan. Ah, the one, (laughs) the only, Piers Morgan. When asked if there was more Sex in the City coming, she said, not for me. That was part of turning 60. That was a very clear moment of how many years do I have left and what do I want to do with it? What haven't I done? I feel that the show was best when it was the series and the bonus was the two movies. This isn't about more money. It's not about more scenes. It's not about any of those things. This is about a clear decision and empowered decision in my life to end one chapter and start another. It's a great part. I played it past the finish line and then some and I loved it. She also said that the show should get somebody else to play Samantha, maybe an African-American woman, she said, or a Hispanic woman, alluding to the show's lack of cultural diversity. Mm. I guess a noble thought, but like perhaps don't pretend you didn't have that power over the last sort of 10 to 15 years to make that happen while you were there. It's wiping your hands clean of a racist movie that you definitely played a part in creating and putting out into the universe. So... She also added that she was never going to sign up to a third Sex and the City movie and had told producers and her co-stars as such in December 2016. Then, after years of denying any bad blood between her and Sarah Jessica Parker, she told Pierce Morgan this. This is really where I, I take to task the people from Sex and the City and specifically Sarah Jessica Parker is that I think she could have been nicer. Mm. I really think she could have been nicer. I don't know what her issue is. Mm. I think the thing that, that still bothers me is this feeling that of, of being in some way made to be the baddie. I mm. mean, um, I never asked for any money. I never asked for any projects. I'm, you know, t- to be thought of as some kind of diva is absolutely ridiculous. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. A lot going on there. She also said she couldn't remember when she last spoke to her co-stars and that none of them reached out to her when reports came out that she'd been the one holding up the film. She said nobody ever picks up the phone and tries to contact you and say, how are you doing? 
that would have been the way to handle it. This is, it feels, like a toxic relationship. That was not all that happened. Very shortly after that Piers Morgan interview, the New York Post published a massive feature exposing the, quote, mean girls culture that destroyed sex in the city. Now, this article involved very niche examples, quotes, stories from over 10 years on the Sex and the City set, whether that be the television show or either of the movies. They also had information that you could say would only be possible if they were speaking to one of the women involved. Yeah, or someone very, very, very close to the women involved. It is really interesting because I think, as we said, there have been articles and rumours for years about Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall. But this was one of the first times where we had specific stories from on set when they were also filming the show, which Mm. I feel like we hadn't had before. A few months later, after this article is published, in February 2018, late night talk show host Andy Cohen got the chance to ask Sarah Jessica Parker how she felt about Kim Cattrall's interview with Piers Morgan. He said, what was your reaction to her telling him that you were never friends, just colleagues? Sarah Jessica Parker said this. Just heartbroken. I mean, that whole week, you and I spoke about it endlessly because I was just, I don't know, I was really... I don't know, I found it very upsetting because that's, you know, that's not the way I recall our experience. So right. it's sad, but I'm, 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 I'm kind of, I don't know. I always think that what ties us together is this singular experience. It, it was a professional experience, but it, came, it became personal because it was years and years of our lives. So I, I'm hoping that that sort of eclipses anything that's been recently spoken. That same month, so the month that Sarah sits down with Andy Cohen, is when Kim Cattrall actually experiences some huge upheaval in her personal life. In February 2018, Kim announced that her 55-year-old brother was found dead less than 24 hours after she had publicly called for any information about his whereabouts to be given. After announcing that death, Kim put up a post on Instagram that said, I would like to thank my fans, friends and my Sex in the City colleagues for the outpouring of support for myself and my family over the past 72 hours. Sarah replied to this on Instagram saying, Dearest Kim, my love and condolences to you and yours and Godspeed to your beloved brother. Kim did not receive this well, to say the least. She posted another image to her feed, I should say. (laughs) Not stories. This was upgraded to a permanent feed post. Exactly. She wrote, I don't need your love and support at this tragic time at Sarah Jessica Parker. Quick side note before I explain what was in the caption. This post is still up, by the way. (laughs) It is still live. In the caption. So that was the feed post. In the caption, she wrote, My mom asked me today, when will that Sarah Jessica Parker, that hypocrite, leave you alone? Your continuous reaching out to me is a painful reminder of how cruel you were then and now. Let me make this very clear if I haven't already. You are not my family. You are not my friend. So I am writing to tell you one last time to stop exploiting our tragedy in order to restore your nice girl persona. Not only that, but Kim copy and pasted the link to that 2017 New York Post article about the mean girl culture at Sex in the City. And it goes without saying that New York Post article was really against the grain of the other articles we had seen about 
the Sex and the City culture. Other articles always depicted Kim as the villain and Sarah Jessica Parker as the angel. This New York Post article was one of the only articles we could find in our research and Justine could find in her research that positioned Kim as the victim and it wholeheartedly backed Kim. It ended, like that article ended with the quote, good for you, Kim, about her standing up for herself. It was almost like her best friend, like the perspective of her best friend was being written for everyone to read. So I think we can say with some level of confidence that that New York Post article that slammed Sarah Jessica Parker either used Kim as an anonymous source or Kim's ver- like mum or something. Yeah, I don't think Kim Cattrall is posting that if she doesn't feel like the stories within it are true. Yes. And how does she know that they are true? Because who, she who, gave them. Who's telling the stories? It was a few months before Sarah actually responded to the comments from Kim Cattrall. She tended to do this. She never responded immediately, would take some time and then come out and respond. In April 2018, she told Vulture, I've never fought with someone publicly in my life, nor would I. And I spent time with all of the women on the set. People need to recall that it wasn't just two women on the set fighting because that just never happened. Mm, Michael Patrick King also told Pop Culture Podcast Origins at the end of that year in 2018, the show doesn't exist if Sarah Jessica Parker wasn't the blonde star of the show. That's number one. Kim was not at the height of her career. Kristen was under her in terms of notability, Cynthia was a theatre actress and their contracts reflected that status. As the show progressed, the characters, everybody grew, it became a family. Kristen, Cynthia and Sarah Jessica became one group and Kim never joined mentally. Kim fought and said, I'm everyone's favourite. Sarah Jessica Parker's name was contractually, legally, righteously the only name on the poster due to the fact that she was a movie star in 1998 when the series started and she took a leap to do a show about sex. I guess for Kim, it didn't matter how much the raise became if there was never parody, but there was never going to be parody. I find those almost the most interesting quotes of all, to be honest, Mm -hmm. to have like a third party who wrote the movies who can say this is my perspective on it. Michael Patrick King also accused Kim of making up and I quote, a revisionist history about what happened to her on set. He said, people do things, they make stuff up based on what they want to tell themselves. All I know is that that show is spectacular for everyone involved. And for some reason, Kim thinks something happened to her on that show that was not good for her. It's a ballsy thing to do to tell somebody that they're making up an experience, isn't it? Mm. It's also interesting though, because it's like, it's positioning them in a hierarchy and I think the brutal part of this industry is there is a hierarchy sometimes with pay. There is a hierarchy with the level of stardom that different actors and actresses bring to the movies and the TV shows they star in. Yes, that feels a little bit like vinegar from Michael Patrick King, but I also see his point. Like I see his point that he's saying, Sorry, Kim Cattrall, yes, could have demanded more money and yes, she could have gotten more money and that's fine. But to expect the same amount of money as the protagonist who is also a producer is not attached to reality. That is completely detached from reality. I think that part is fair for Mm. sure. I think the second half of his quotes were a bit more inflammatory for mine. 
Sex in the City, though, as we know, found a way forward without Kim. Fast forward to January 2021 and Sarah Jessica Parker announces on Instagram that a Sex and the City revival TV show <laughs> was returning called And Just Like That. Oh, in the Instagram announcement, predictably, fans of the show were pointing out that there is still an ongoing rift between Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall, writing things like they dislike or they hate each other. Sarah replied to one of these comments and wrote, no, I don't dislike her. Never would. Samantha isn't part of this story, but she will always be a part of us. No matter where we are or what we do, X. Very interesting. Mm. Samantha Jones hasn't been killed off the new show reportedly. It is leaving many people to speculate about whether they're going to try and get Kim Cattrall to return. But again, at the time we're recording this, which is before the show has aired, we don't even know if a second season of the show is going to be commissioned. In fact, I don't even think HBO would know Mm. until they get some sort of indication of how popular the show is. My God, imagine if this... TV series don't, goes don't for like it, five it, seasons. How hilarious would that be? Sarah, like, okay, this is the thing. Sex and the City was so pure. Like fans of the show know that the seasons of the show were so great because they were fleeting. Like the best TV and the best art is when you can realise that it has a beginning and an end and the end is the end. The problem with this is they keep tacking on other ends to this and the the tacks, I don't even know how to word it, but the bits they're adding get worse and worse and worse. It's like they needed a scarf and then they keep going back to it and be like, but what about this colour and what about this colour? Like, leave the scarf. The scarf was perfect. It's so interesting because when we look at all of this as one big story, there is so much that I didn't know about the feud between Mm. these two. I think for so long I thought maybe it was a concocted story until I was reminded of Kim's quotes with Piers Morgan and her quotes on Instagram later and all of the times that Sarah Jessica Parker then had to really acknowledge what was going on. You know, I can't quite work out even after doing all this research what I think about it. As I said earlier, I do think there are some elements of the reporting that were sexist, but there's no doubt something fucking went down between these two women. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily think that Sarah Jessica Parker needed to know that something went down for it to have gone down. Mm. Like Kim Cattrall's experience might have been something that she didn't speak about for a while and then was like, fuck this, I don't want to be a part of it. Just as equally, as you said, there was probably no world where Kim Cattrall was ever going to be paid the same as Sarah Jessica Parker and maybe that was really unrealistic for her to always chase. I think the Sex and the City team, everyone behind it, including her fellow co-stars, were trying to make a square peg in Kim Cattrall fit into a round hole. And the more they tried to bash her into this hole and make her fit, the angrier and more disenfranchised she got. And I think she eventually just completely turned against the franchise to go, I'm not fucking doing this. Like you can't force me to do something. And I think, yes, maybe Kim Cattrall has a bit of an ego, but I think she was probably really badly mistreated by the cast and the crew when it came to pressuring her to take on the third movie. No one wanted the third movie. I'm sorry. If I was an actor or an actress and you said to me, you have to do this third film, when we've already put out two films, one of which was mediocre, the other was just completely shitty already. Like, I would be kicking and screaming if you were trying to get me into a third film. Well, like, and also why does she have to? Like the idea that the entire series or the entire brand rests on her shoulders feels like an incredibly unrealistic expectation and a lot of pressure, like Mm. a lot of pressure. It's really funny, right? We actually polled our listeners on Instagram about who their favourite Sex and the City character is of all time. 
32,000 people voted, Mish, and Samantha got 50.1% of the vote. More people voted for Samantha than all of the three other characters combined. Yeah, which speaks to her power, how loved she was and how her storylines and her character pulled audiences in. I think it will be very, very interesting to see how a TV revival performs when everyone's or the vast majority of people's favourite character is no longer one of the central parts of the show. Like you're taking out a pretty vital ingredient from Sex and the City and maybe Kim Cattrall will finally be proven right based on the performance of this show. I do want to say I don't think Sarah Jessica Parker is a villain in this story. I don't think that at all. I think she's been quite measured and quite lovely with a lot of the things that she has said on the record. She's been quite graceful with the way she has handled this. But I do feel sympathy for Kim Cattrall as that woman on the outer. Like I think everyone can kind of relate to that dynamic where you have the three best friends and the one woman who doesn't seem to be included in the same way or just doesn't fit in. So while I don't see either as like a villain or an angel, I think this is just testament to some people just are not going to mesh no matter how hard you smush them together. It could be a classic thing of, you know, maybe there is good and bad on both sides. Mm. Like maybe that is true. That's certainly how I feel about it. I am very, very intrigued to hear how our listeners feel about it. Come and chat to us. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and we will have, again, a whole bunch of images at this time. I think it's the perfect time to look back on this because the show's airing. We're back. It's back already. They're on our screens. So Let's see how it goes. <laughs> Guys, that is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening and as always, a big thank you to our researcher, Justine Landers-Hanley, who spearheaded this one. Yeah, if you want to see snippets of this recording, come follow us on TikTok. We are at shameless underscore podcast and you can probably watch my forehead vein pulse because I feel so much passion for this story and every time I do it, like, rears its ugly head. Yeah, guys, we will be (laughs) back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye. See ya. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.